season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode sponsor is Mind Baseball, located in Dallas, Texas. Their bats are made from 100% European beech wood, which allows for more density, which then leads to more power. I mean, who doesn't want more power? We all know chicks dig the long ball. Multiple studies prove that beech outperforms maple, birch, and ash that you're probably used to swinging. Beech wood straight grains mean for less breaks, and mine baseball exceeds the MLB regulations in that category. Are you also frustrated with seeing the dried paint spots on your barrel? Mine Baseball uses a family secret technique that leaves a perfect finish every time. If you set their bat next to another brand, you will make sure that you see the difference. Lastly, they also use a built-in grip to reduce vibrations. It is the same technology that is used to reduce recoil in rifles. Make sure to check them out. Go find them on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, on Instagram, their username is at mine, M-I-N-E, baseball. Check them out, but let's dig into today's episode. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we have Travel Baseball Powerhouse, Artillery Baseball. We have their founder, their owner. We got Ajay Bulamary on the JKR Podcast for episode number one of Artillery Baseball Series powered by Hit RX. Ajay, super pumped to get you on the show, man. How are you doing today? Jason, good. How are you, man? Doing good. You know, it's a Friday, you know, done with classes for the week, you know, time to just solely focus on, you know, the JKR Podcast and my internships, you know, get away from the in-class stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm pumped, you know, here interviewing you, but let's dig into it. So before we dig into, you know, your baseball background and your and artillery, um, I have one question that like that I like to ask everybody that gets on the JKR podcast. And that is for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Ajay Blumary? So I would like to say that um, I'm the man behind the curtain of of artillery. Like I don't like having my face out there my name out there like that's the reason why i don't have my own twitter account or my own um instagram account because you know i wanted to be put it's, it's gotta be the brand i mean am i a big part of it 100 um so you know and, and my whole goal with this is kind of like again i didn't play high level college baseball i mean i was lucky enough to play half a year at st joe's and i blew my shoulder um and i just stayed there and um finished off my academic career so you know from i mean jay can we jump into like how it, artillery started or uh so the so the plan is to you know dig into your baseball background can you know how that got started um i know you went to arsenal for at least a little bit i'm not sure 100 percent how long uh dig into that and then we'll just transition to you know how that led to artillery um, so take us through. So take us through. You know, you said you played half a year at St. John's, blew out your shoulder. Um, so you just take us through your baseball background. You know, you know what got you to love this game. Um, just what were some of those motivations to you know maybe transition into a coach. You know, after your playing days were over. Yep. So I, I like I said, I spent half a year at St. Joe's in Philadelphia. Um, like I said, my shoulder went out, and from that point forward, you know, I luckily had a, a younger brother that was fourteen, and I was nineteen. And he was coming up through the Little League and the Legion 
and stuff because travel baseball is not that big here in South Jersey at that point in like 2009, 2010. Um, so I started coaching his team and then randomly out of the blue, you know, I got reached out to by the Tri-State Arsenal and they had interest in bringing me in because I knew the Texas baseball ranch stuff inside and out. And for anyone who doesn't know that, you know, that's the program that, um, you know, Ron Wolfers and Tom House designed prior to Driveline. And I was one of the rare people, I would say, in the Northeast that actually knew the program, but also went through it in high school for three and a half years. So it was one of those things where I didn't even need the book. And I could literally just, you know, run that program just based off sheer memory. And, you know, and, you know, Mr. Barth, who's very, who's very influential to who I am today, um, kind of gave me my first little travel baseball gig. And then, you know, I started coaching their younger teams. Enjoyed that. I mean, the, the young kids are fun. Um, and then, you know, one day he brought me in and said, hey, look, you have two options here. You can either. This was probably 2013. So when I graduated, so about 2018 when my 2021s were eighth graders um, or 17, whatever the year was. I mean, he kind of brought me and said, hey, look, you know, there, there's two, three trains of thought here. You can either do what I do, which is get all the best kids from New Jersey, Eastern PA, Delaware, that's Tri-State Arsenal, or and practice them, you know, two, two, three times a week and build a powerhouse that way. Or he goes, I see how you're good with parents. You're great with kids. This whole national team concept is starting to pop up. So do you want to give it a shot and try to get kids from outside the area to play for something called like Tri-State Arsenal Scout? And I hit great with the eighth graders. I mean, that first year, I mean, you know, we were able to get, you know, Ethan Flynn to come for a tournament or two. Dylan Cruz came for a tournament. Um, you know, Bubba Chandler, who was a third rounder to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Owen Flynn. I mean, Gavin Brasowski, I mean, it ended up being a really cool thing. And then by the end of that one little term, you know, that group wanted to stay together. And I, I kind of just started running Arsenal Scout for a little bit of time there. Okay. So throwing that back to when you first got started. So you got your first opportunity which coach, with Coach Barth with Tri-State Arsenal, I believe, right? Or is that when you were coaching your, your 14-year-old brother? I was coaching my 14-year-old brother at that point. Okay, so let's say let's let's dig it into that. Just one question about that, real quick. So you know, when you do make that transition to you know your your playing career does come to an end, and you now now you're in that dugout, you're actually the one that's going to be coaching. Take us through maybe what some of those toughest transitions were of making that transition from a ball player to an actual coach and not being on the field anymore. I would say the toughest transition was understanding the idea that I'm not playing anymore. So what that means is, you know, even though, you know, I got my shoulder fixed, I would still be willing to like get on the mound during practice and throw like live, live. And it kind of hit me after a while, kind of like, what am I doing here? I'm the one not playing. It's not my playing career anymore. It's theirs. And my job is to just facilitate that, not show off to the world of how, of, how good of a player I was. And because no one knew, like no one knew about it. Yeah. So you talk about Texas Baseball Ranch is, you know, a one big reason that they did hire you. Um, so, you know, I've heard you said it's similar to Driveline. You know, I've heard of Driveline. Of, I've, you know, I follow Tom House, but, you know, I'm not very familiar with this Texas Baseball Ranch. So kind of take us through 
you know, what that is, what your experience is with that and, you know, um, how that went along when you went to coach for Tri-State Arsenal. Yep. So I would say Texas baseball, right? I said I was prior to drive mine and like customization of programs, like, you know, Ron's biggest term at that point was the athletic pitcher. And like I said, I mean, I never got the opportunity to go down there. My pitching coach and his kid went down there when I was in high school and he kind of brought it back. And me being a little five foot seven, 150 pound guy, I mean, I saw tremendous gains from it. And I'm like, huh, this stuff works. And the biggest, you know, Ron's biggest thing is you can't get better at something unless it's measured. And that was the biggest thing I took away. So whether, you know, you're throwing med balls against the wall, we're radaring them. You know, every throw gets radared. Um, you know, every med ball hit gets radared. I mean, well, not radar, but counted. So that way, each time the kid steps in with you, they have a goal. And from a velocity perspective, it gets rid of the idea of, oh, that looked hard. Because now there's a number to it. And from a mechanical perspective, if you throw a ball at 82 and the next ball you throw at 78, well, you just lost four miles an hour. You obviously did something different to lose four, or if you gained four, like, like um, either direction. And what was that adjustment? And I think the cool part of Ron did was like, and the whole program was based on like getting that out of kids and even like all the drills and exercises. The cool part about it was like whether it was the bands, the, the core work, all that, it all had a little relationship to pitching, but it was kind of like the karate kid where, you know, the kid would be, you know, cleaning the mirror, wax on, wax off. And he had no idea that it actually had an end game to it. Because if you just look at the drills and look at the workouts and kind of stare at it, you kind of blink your eyes three times. Like, I have no idea what this has to do with pitching. Like, at all. Yeah. No, that, that I mean, that's an interesting concept there when it talks about it doesn't really count unless it's measured. Because, you know, when I was in high school, you know, we didn't, you know, go through that program. You know, let's say, you know, you're throwing a med ball against the wall. That's all you're doing. Like, you don't know, you know, whether that, that was a higher velo, lower velo, whatever. You know, that's that's actually an interesting concept that I've actually never really heard before. Um, so, you know, I'm going to write that down, put that as the quote of the week uh, next week um, for you. But no, so you get connected with Arsenal, kind of take us through, you know, you're building that, you build in that Arsenal scout team, you know, uh, bringing players in from, you know, all over the place. You mentioned Dylan Cruz, you know, potentially number one overall pick here in the 2023 MLB draft. Uh, but just what were some of those biggest lessons that you had in those first couple of years of that travel, of travel baseball, of this travel baseball industry? Um, just take us through that, you know, how maybe some growing pains that happened. Um, just take us through that a little bit. Yep. So I, I would say this, like, yeah, I mean, Dylan Cruz played one event. Like, I, I think the key to building these national teams is making sure that your eighth graders are strong every year because that's your foundation for the future. And so what I did that was a little different was, you know, when the 2021s were eighth graders, I didn't go and start building older teams in front of it or younger teams below. I made that that 2021 grade kind of push through for one year. They stayed together. So then the following year, what I did was I started a 2022 eighth grade team. And obviously I figured out all the 2021s had friends. And I just kept getting kids' friends along, and that's how the 22s got built, and then they wanted to stay together. And then all of a sudden, I started a 23. So, like, you know, starting this spring, you know, I'll have 
I'll be doing my seventh year of eighth graders with this 2027 grade. And I would say one of the things that we do differently is we do not keep the same team at eighth grade year. It's the only year we don't do that for the sheer fact of I don't like tryouts and I would rather try to get a bunch of kids into my bucket, whether it's for one event, two events, whatever it may be. And then the fall, when they're in their freshman years, when we start dialing in, okay, these are the 20 guys that we want on this roster going forward. Because I, I don't think it's a very good idea to just sit on the phone with someone and sell, sell, sell. Um, Hey, this is who we are. We do this. We do that. I'm big on our actions are why kids stay and why parents stay. And the only way you're going to ever get a feel for that is by test driving us. Of course. Yeah. So um, let's say, you know, moving it back to 20, 2017, you know, for that 2021 class or eighth graders, you know, coach Barth, he gives you that opportunity. He's like, Hey, you know, you're good with parents. You no, know, you're good with all these ball players. I want you to maybe, you know, expand away from this tri-state area to create a national slash scout team. What's your first step there? Like, you know, what, what's your first step going on to that? Maybe going to other states and how that slowly evolved to the point to where now, I mean, you're doing that for, you know, 24, 25, 26, and 27 class here in 2023. Yep. So the, you know, the, the first thing I did was, okay, obviously the list of events and, you know, you look at the Northeast as a whole, at that point, you know, they were going to World War Bat. They were doing this PG event down to the ring a couple. But then you go start looking into the upper Midwest echelon, Western PA, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, where you're from, you know, Illinois, Minnesota. All those kids at that point weren't going down south for perfect game. They were just staying at like Grand Park for PBR or because, you know, that land's technically a, a, a PBR land. So I was kind of coming in there with, hey, here's a different model. Why don't you guys try perfect game down south? And I knew that I had something because all the teams that those kids were on didn't do that. So at first, when you got this whole thing started, I know the way you guys do it now for artillery is you guys have a lot of guest players, like you mentioned, you know, you want to have a lot of options and have a lot of people within your bucket. Um, was that the way that you kind of pitched it to a lot of these players at first? Like, hey, I'm not trying to take you away from your team permanently. I just want you to come take this test drive with us, go down south and, you know, test out what Tri-State Arsenal has to offer. Correct. That was 100 percent all it was. Okay. And then, so let's say, you know, I don't know how long you were with Tri-State Arsenal, you know, how many teams you created, but how did that transition to the start and the transition to artillery? Take us yep. through maybe where the idea comes about and what all happened there. Yep. So, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it pretty short and sweet and Chase, we can talk about what, you know, what else happened, you know, another time. Um, basically, when Mr. Barth sold the Arsenal as a seven state franchise, um, you know, the, the new ownership basically did not want to dip in their foot into the national level. And that's kind of where, and then I kind of sat back and said, okay, well, I have all these kids and, you know, and, and I started reaching out to them, you know, the, you know, especially um, that 2022 group that was 17 because um, they were technically the first, they were the first graduating class for artillery because the 21s finished up under Arsenal, I, I kind of asked them that that's, you know, that spring saying, hey, look, you know, we're no longer Arsenal. Um, you know, I'm going to change this name to Artillery. What do you guys think? And they're AJ, the only thing we knew about Arsenal was that Mike Trout played for them. Um, you know, Joe Barth ran it and the jerseys they wore. 
And I'm going, huh? So I kind of built myself a personal brand and a personal name that's being able to connect with kids. And we just kind of took it and ran from there. And then, you know, I was lucky enough that with the relationships I had with all these tournament companies, you know, that I was still able to get into all the events I needed because they even realized, you know, that it was me getting all these players, not the org itself. Yeah. So, you know, let's say, you know, so the Tri-State Arsenal gets sold. They don't want to you know, do that whole national level. Um, is your is your mind straight away going, okay, like I kind of maybe want to start my own brand? Or are you thinking, you know, maybe I'll go coach somewhere else at the national level? Where was your mindset there? And when did it come into play that, okay, I think I'm going to go ahead and start my own organization? Yep. So, you know, I I, I kind of sat there. I mean, and obviously you know, I had opportunities with a bunch of the big orgs. Um you know, because obviously they wanted the teams like, you know, kind of had in my pocket, especially with the 22s being 17 and them coming off being ranked 11th in the country or 16 at that point, you know, a 23 team that was getting built quite nicely. And, you know, I know, and, you know, I, I kind of sat down with some of these, some of these college coaches that these kids were going to. And they're like, AJ, you don't need them to still be successful. You can just start your own thing because of the connection you've also developed in the college baseball world. So where did, where did the motivation, where did the name, where did the brand come from? Artillery? Like, what does that mean? Like, how does that idea come about? I mean, obviously, you know, I'm big on clean and I'll be honest, I'm not the most um, creative of people. And, you know, I mean, I mean, the artillery thing is kind of, how do I put this? It's kind of a little spoof on Arsenal. I mean, obviously everything looks different. It's changed colors, whole nine yards. And the other interesting piece is when I presented that name to Perfect Game, there was not a single use of that name in their database at that point. So then I went, okay, I have something unique. It's not like it's called, you know, the Tigers or the Panthers or whoever else. You know, Bluebirds, you know, where there's a bunch of names of that or Sticks or whoever. You know, it was something unique that was kind of sitting in that date that wasn't in their database. I'm like, okay, I have something to run with here. Yeah, which is always a good thing. You don't have that, you know, that own brand that you know, no one else has. But um, so, you know, the idea comes to your mind, like, okay, let's go ahead. Let's start this organization. How you're, you know, you're contacting Perfect Game, contacting PBR to get into some of these tournaments. Like, how long does it, like, what are some of those other steps that you had to take, you know, make it official? And, you know, how long did that officially take to, you know, when that my, that idea came to your mind to when you guys were actually, you know, hitting the field, wearing those artillery jerseys? Um, it didn't take very long because, you know, the, the, the social media has kind of stayed the same. You know, I, I said, talk to Perfect Game. They let me in and, you know, did I have to submit rosters 100%? They just want to make sure and, you know, they just want to make sure that all the players that I did have were were returning. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, may, it may sound crazy to you, but, like, it was a pretty simple turnkey idea. And then it was just, you know, making the right contact for uniforms. Um. You know, obviously, the, the, we'll, we'll get into this later about the PRD stuff, but um, and you know when when at that point that first year of artillery, it was the twenty twos, the twenty threes, twenty threes, and the fours, I believe. Oh, and the fives. It, it was two, three, four, five, okay. and the five were eighth, it was five or eighth graders. Um, but yeah, um, you know it was pretty turnkey actually. Like it, there isn't really another secret story behind it, but like. Said, I'm super thankful, super grateful for all those people that kind of had my back and saying, okay, we're going to support you. 
Yeah. So with it being a turnkey organization, uh, was there any more recruiting that came to, you know, that 22, 23, the older classes um, when it came to, you know, actually making artillery or, you know, did pretty much everyone from that Arsenal team join that artillery team? No, everyone, everyone pretty much joined. And I would say this, that the trick isn't in the name, it's in the schedule you, you get. And that's why I'm also, we're very selective about what players we do try to bring into the fold because like, Obviously, at that point, if I don't, if I'm going to the same event as the Canes, Team Lee, Scorpion, you know, that power 10, I don't really have anything to even bring up because at that point, it's kind of like, well, AJ, we're going to the same stuff. So what makes you different? I'm like, well, I'm not really there yet to really kind of make that differentiating factor yet. So I guess I have to move on. But, you know, that that schedule was the key driver of being able to get more kids into the funnel. Yeah. So, you know, you start artillery, you have the 22 all the way through that 2025 class. Um, so obviously you, you, I'm assuming it wasn't a one man show. Um, so who were maybe some of those other guys on the artillery coaching staff that you brought in and where did some of those guys come from? Some of those connections. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I got very lucky that that first year or second was also during COVID. I guess I was 20. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was 2021. So I was, when was COVID? 20? COVID was 20. Yeah, 2020. So, uh, you know, I got a little lucky in, you know, in 20 when I was still with Arsenal that during COVID, um, you know, the colleges weren't allowed to have cancer anything like that. But the NCAA, the NCAA did pass a rule that grad assistants and players could coach travel teams and, and um, get on the road. Um, so that's where, you know, in that 2020, my last year with Arsenal, you know, that's where, you know, Luke Bonfield came into play. He was a GA at Tennessee at that point. You know, Trey Harris, um, you know, Fred Corral, another great mentor of mine who's now with the Reds, who was, who was at Missouri at the time. He sent me Bryce Monet Dioka to come coach. Um, Butch Thompson, Auburn, sent Dan Gamash, who played with the Pirates. He was their GA to come coach. And obviously, you know, the following year, you know, things kind of opened back up for NCAA. And, you know, and I got lucky enough that they, they actually did have friends um, who were out of the game at that point. And, you know, and, and Trey, especially, you know, sent, sent a couple guys in that were from Georgia. And, um, you know, like a guy named Stephen Wells and a great friend of mine now. He's awesome. I mean, I met, you know, Jerry Patrizio, who's now with PRD. Um, and, you know, when you only have four teams and the schedules were so staggered, in terms of perfect game, you really didn't need a ton of coaches because one, I was going to be there all the time. We'll get the right assistance in place, and the schedule's kind of worked. Now, the last couple of years has a little been a little bit trickier, yeah. And you know, I'm the nut job who, like last summer, left my house on June 8th and didn't come back till June 30th. And like I think at one point, my 16s were playing in Hoover. My 15s were making their world world, world wood bat run, and I was running back and forth. Um, another influential person, the guy name of Chris Diola, um, who's out of Omaha. I mean, he's one of the better, more than better, um, hitting instructors in the country. I mean, he's worked with you know Scott Kingery, Luke Bonfield. He's done a little bit of judge. He's part of that teacher man group. So he had he knew a couple guys that you know that were at Arkansas State that were still playing, but they didn't really want to play summer ball. So he sent me two of those guys to help out, like Brandon Anderson and um, Carter Holt. 
Okay. So for you at this point, you know, with you being that man behind the scenes and you're trying to go to all these different places to see your teams, I'm assuming you're not the head coach, correct, for these teams? Like, what are some of your job duties with that? Um, And then where does the role of some of these, you know, guys who are maybe, you know, second, third in command with artillery, like, where do they come into play? So I, I guess on that point, part of it is whether I deem myself head coach or not. I mean, it, 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 it's always a collaborative effort. And, you know, and as time has gone off, I, I've tried to remove myself off the field a little bit. I mean, obviously, I'm I still head coach of 25. I mean, I mean, if I'm there, I'm again, I'm, I'm big on, you know, and, and I think this is where some orgs have issues with some coaches is. Is sometimes they just like the baseball piece and not the parent piece and that relationship piece. So I tried to get guys in who all they wanted to worry about was just coaching baseball. And then you could, then I would assume then you'd be the one that would be handling the relationships. Cause from talking to Pat yesterday, he said, you were like the guy, you look like the PR guy that is always talking to the parents and building those relationships. Correct. Cor- correct. I, correct. Cause I always just wanted the coaches just to be coaches. Okay, cool. So, and, and from um, their benefit, they're showing up going, you know, Oh crap. You know, I, I don't got to really got to deal with practice. I got to show up and, be a just be a good role model for these kids hit some fungos coach them coach them bases and because like, i would just give them the lineup and go here you go guys this is the lineup just operate this lineup so i know at that point everyone can be happy and then you know you you kind of let them go down that path on their own okay so you said at first you know when you're trying to maybe construct these first couple of rosters of the guys that you weren't bringing in already um you know one big I guess hurdle would be that, you know, you didn't maybe provide anything different rather than, you know, the power five in terms of the Scorpions, Kansas and that over these past couple of years, how has that evolved to where artillery now is, you know, you can provide something different um, that maybe some of these other power programs can't. Yeah. So I would say the fact that because we're so niche, um, you know, all these kids, all these parents have a pretty easy access to me. I mean, obviously, you know, if I have, you know, 14 to 16 U, 5 team to 17U, you know, 17 to 14 U, whatever it may be, the access to me goes down because obviously I can't handle that many kids being on the phone all day. I mean, I also do have a full-time job where I work for the Department of Defense. So I would say now the differentiating factor is that we're super niche. It's not meant for everybody. It's kind of people who want to get with that big get away from that little big org. And, but they also want the feel of when they were playing on their local team and all their buddies were on the team. Okay. So you talk about niche there and I know like, you know, that's one thing that you guys, you know, brand yourselves on is being that niche program. Take us through, you know, the structure of artillery. Um, I know like we've, you talked about it off and on here so far, but take, take us through that structure of artillery, how you guys construct that roster and construct, you know, the roster throughout the summer compared to what, you know, the traditional travel teams generally do. Um, yeah. So like eighth grade year, like I said, I call that a roll and tryout year. So basically, you know, when I reach out to players, I send them a schedule and say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about playing in. I mean, obviously I'm going to be targeting certain off weekends that, you know, kids may have and say, okay, well, we have these list of 60 kids and we know that on March 20th, these 10 are off and they're super high talented. Well, that's a weekend we can go after now. Um, and you kind of help them build those relationships. And, you know, it, it's kind of like the kids after that first year, like, like when that eighth grade team for the 21 group finished up at Arsenal, like 
it was supposed to just be a guest team program and provide opportunities for kids for where their normal team didn't go. And then when they all came back and said, AJ, we kind of really like each other. Can we stay together? I'm like, huh, well, there's something to that. Yeah. So, you know, how, so at this point now, so obviously, you know, you're building all these different teams, you know, maybe sometimes your roster heading into, let's say the WWBA isn't the same roster you're heading into a tournament at Lake Point. How did you go, like, just throughout these past years, I mean, how did you go ahead and build this network of just, you know, power five commits, all these top tier baseball players? How did this network, you know, start and expand throughout your time with Arsenal and then you know, start in artillery to where we're at now, you know, six years into the process? Take us through that a little bit. Yep. So obviously, you know, one thing I want to point out is like at 15, 16, 17, those rosters stay the same. And it's typically the core of what your eighth grade did. So like if I'm planning to do six events, eighth grade year, and I keep harping on eighth grade because it's super important to me. Um, even though you have six events and you're rolling in all these kids, once you get towards the back end of those six, the fifth tournament, sixth tournament, you're starting to see the same familiar faces. And that's kind of where the model comes in for the following year. And then obviously the key is to help those kids out with college, try to get some kids off the board by the end of their eighth grade summer. And then other kids are going to want to jump in. So let's say for this 20, let's say for the 2026 class, this upcoming year, you know, in between their freshman, sophomores years. So you're, you're saying is your guys' roster is going to be pretty much the same from tournament one all the way till, you know, July, August for tournament six or seven. Correct. Okay. Um. So, you know, how do you, obviously you guys are a great program. You guys do it the right way, but you know, what is that pitch to those guys to when they are playing to, you know, try to try to complete that roster for that second year. So for in between that freshman, sophomore year, after they had already played for you guys for um, like the tryout process that way in, in their eighth grade summer, like what is that pitch to them to try to keep them on long, full, ter full term, long term with artillery? Correct. So I guess the key is, Every player that's highly talented knows other good players. So the, the pitch isn't from me. The pitch is from the kids. Because reality is, you know, you have a player like Cameron Tilly out of Indiana. He's not going to bring in a player that he's not going to want to put his stamp on because then he doesn't look like the smartest person out there. And I've always said this, that all these kids – are smarter than you think and they all want to play with really good players and if you let the kids do some of the work they're going to be able to close deals better than i can so i know i know pat talked about yesterday a little bit in terms of you know that guest player so let's say you guys are you know going through a tournament and maybe you're missing a guy on the roster maybe he has something going on some pre um pre-existing pre priorities or whatever um, how do you guys go about, you know, maybe filling that role within that roster? Yeah. So perfect example is, you know, in 20, you know, when my 2023s were 16, um, our shortstop went down with an injury. And obviously, you know, with artillery, not having second team, you can't just pull somebody out. So literally the conversation was, I went right to those kids and say, Hey, look, we need a shortstop right now. Who do you know? That's yeah. not coming to who's not coming to this to, to like to that following tournament mm -hmm. and have you had have you had problems in the past with that maybe guys who are you know maybe they're playing for let's say some you know another another national team and they're like oh let's try out artillery for one weekend is there you know maybe a struggle there at all um in terms of maybe some hesitance in terms of 
like let's say let's say you know one of your ball players let's say for the 2025 class your shortstop gets injured you need to find a replacement for him and you know mm-hmm. you're reaching out to a guy and at that i mean at this point you know throughout the summer if you're a top tier shortstop i mean you're probably playing in those wwbas lake points hoovers carry tournaments this and that has there been you know maybe hesitance of trying to get a ball player who plays for another national program to come for you for just one weekend so i wouldn't do that i would personally like let's use world War bat for example i'd look and see who are the 400 teams in there and see if i can't in the top of my head or the or the kids in their top of their head go oh look this team from connecticut's not going i wonder if they're off and if they are off we just hit the jackpot because I say this no matter a local team, small team, little league team, whoever. Every single one of those teams has at least one good player. And my concept's never been let's amass all this talent from one little area. It's like if there's 12 12 below average teams out there that have one superstar, well, you put those 12 together and you kind of hit the jackpot. So it's, it's continuously looking for providing players opportunities who may not have that with their current team. Okay. So, you know, this, this goes on, um, you know, when you have, when you're having guys from, I know, I know you mentioned in the other podcast, you have guys from, you know, 12 to 15 different States. I know you got some Indiana guys, Ohio, um, and then all the way up there in the Northeast as well. Um, how do you kind of go about building this culture within your teams when a lot of these players are, you know, coming from all these different types of communities, cultures, et cetera. How do you kind of go about, you know, building that bond, building that team culture? So, I mean, I tend to think, like, you, know, you look at that 25 team, a lot of those kids come from the same cloth. So what that means to me is, one, to do the schedule like we do, you know, like that 25 team, going to Florida for the PG World Series, going to World War in, in Atlanta, doing the PG Elite in Hoover, during doing the NPI at Lake Point, obviously their families have to come, come from a considerably, like, well-off background. Um. So that's the first piece of it there. And to create the culture, I'm big on putting kids in group chats, letting them BS around, let them get to know each other. And obviously the key too is, you know, you commit, for example, you know, one or two kids to Virginia, you're going to end up with another three or four because a lot of these kids want to play with their future teammates because they might be the lone Virginia guy on their team or Tennessee or Auburn or Kentucky or Miami or Michigan or wherever. And that's the kind of the culture piece. Like, I mean, that 25 team, you know, we did, you know, get some kids off the board on our own, but a lot of the other, other ones came on their own because they saw an opportunity to build like future friendships and pot- potentially find their future roommate. Yeah. Which, I mean, which is a great, I mean, great thing. I know that here for the, for in, in Indiana, I mean, the Midwest Canes, Indiana Bulls, I mean, they have a ton of guys who are headed to the same schools. And I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know those rosters a little bit, but um, digging into like the coaching structure here. Um, so when you do have, let's say a coach for that class of 2026. So, you know, they're in between their freshman, sophomores years, they'll have two years of travel baseball beyond this summer. Um, does your guys' coaches stay with that same age group or do they still, or how, how exactly does that work when it comes to actually coaches for artillery um, in terms of coaching the same teams or maybe coaching different teams? So I'm also a little bit big on the model of guest coaches because I think coaches can all tell a different story. Now, I mean, is there system, there is some system, still some structure set up within the teams. 
And then like I said, I don't like I'm not sitting here, you know, going, hey, you know, Johnny, you're going to be with this 2026 group for the next three years or I'm going to stay with the fives. Um, you know, we, we all kind of just jump around and you know, especially because, you know, some of these guys do have full time jobs. They can't make everything. So just like how I'm reaching out to eighth graders going, hey, here's my schedule. Let me know what you can come to. I'm doing the same thing with coaches. Okay. Which and which is completely I mean unique. I mean, obviously you guys are doing a great job at it with you know being ranked number one in one class and you know top. I know I know you guys are ranked again in another class as well. So obviously it's working out for you guys, but you know that is unique when it comes to you know the traditional travel travel baseball world. So that concept of guest coaches was kind of something that you know Pat from PRD baseball brought up um a couple of days ago when I was interviewing him. Um so let's dig into you know how you got connected with Pat, how you got connected with PRD baseball, and how you guys work, you know, hand in hand um throughout the summer. Yep. So basically, um, you know, Pat Gironi, awesome, awesome dude. Um, he's the head coach at Ranny High School. And that's the same high school that AJ Gracia plays at, that's 23 going to Duke. So his dad actually put me in touch with him because, you know, one of the transition struggles was, you know, I've always told people how I had the roof of the house that everybody wanted, but never built the house. So obviously you want a pretty cool foundation to sit under. And the nice thing about Pat is, you know, he does go to a lot of natural events, but he also understands what, what his lane is. Like he wants to be more on the training, the development side, you know, still put together some, you know, pretty kick-ass teams. But he never wanted to go into the national world, just like how I never wanted to go back into the local regional world. So it was kind of a match made in heaven because he did something that I don't want to do and I do something that he didn't want to do. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone's ever tried this model where there's two brands under one umbrella where they kind of run parallel to each other, but they have some a lot of similar goals but also some of the goals that are different and it you know it, it kind of just worked out for the better and you know we're able to you know we don't really share players too much you know, our, our goal is you know if we're both in world of best for both of us to make a final four um are there are there tournaments that i do that he doesn't 100 because his kids aren't willing to travel five times in the summer so they do have to do some regional stuff and for me you know, having, you know, after I left Arsenal to start artillery, I started coming back into the Northeast because obviously, you know, I didn't want to run into Arsenal's footsteps, you know, like, well, not their footsteps, but their feet because they were so, you know, they were a regional powerhouse. So I wasn't going to try to grab kids from the region because that would, in theory, you know, hurt them a little bit. But Pat has allowed me to do that. And, you know, the other great thing is, you know, for those New Jersey, Eastern PA, New York guys, you know, when a team is playing regionally in the fall, because, you know, obviously it's tough to travel in the fall more than two or three times so he provides you know some of the kids that play for artillery the opportunity to jump into some regional events just so they get some work in prior to the national stuff in the fall so with you guys being under that same umbrella of prd baseball right because it goes prd baseball as the umbrella and then east coast ghost and then artillery as like the two members of that umbrella correct correct so how does that work for you, Pat, and maybe some of the other coaches when it comes to, you know, maybe coaching for artillery, but then Pat also talks about how he'll coach East Coast Ghosts, maybe come be a guest coach for artillery, and maybe you'll do vice versa. How does that work in terms of, you know, potentially being a guest coach as well for East Coast Ghost? 
Yep. So obviously, you know, like when, when we're at the same tournaments, whether it's PG Elite and Hoover or like the World World Bat, you know, there are a couple similarities. Um, we'll make sure that our games are kind of staggered like against each other or like or with I'm not sure what the phrase is for staggered there, but so that if I'm playing at 1015 with artillery, I'm with Pat, I'm with like Sean McCorkle, I'm with Jerry Perfugio, you know, Spurtle, whoever it is. And then when their team plays, we flip. So their team comes on the field and then we just stay. Okay. Okay. And, that, and that, other, okay that makes sense. Yeah. And then I would say the other piece is, you know, like in the springtime, you know, my eighth graders are probably only playing once a month. So, you know, if Pat does need someone, I, I, I kind of call myself his little fireman, you know, guy calls out sick, you know, whatever. Um, I just jump in and go coach a 12U game or a 13U game if it's in my backyard or whatever, try to help him out there. And same thing, too. You know, if someone gets sick on my end, you know, we get somebody on a flight from him and send him down. Yeah. So with you guys being – with you, you know, wanting to stay at that national level, with Pat wanting to stay at that regional level, what does that regional level look like in New Jersey, in that North Tri-State area? Because obviously you mentioned, you know, Grand Park earlier. You mentioned uh, how this is PBR land. What does it look like out there in New Jersey? Maybe what are some, you know, other regional tournaments that are pretty big there in that New Jersey area? Uh, what that looks like, you know, maybe the relationships you guys have with PBR Perfect Game. What does that kind of look like? Yep. So I would say the Northeast, it's, it's really interesting. The idea that the, it, it's a lot more what I call like mom and pop travel orgs. Like you've seen some of the bigger travel orgs try to get their way in here. Just like how Canes, you know, came to Indiana and it's never worked because people up here, you know, do stay loyal. They need the training piece. Um, and so that way it's kind of like why it never really worked for the bigger guys. Um, which I, which I'm sure it's, you know, it's similar in Michigan, you know, you have motor city hit dogs, like, you know, you, you know, I, I know some other bigger orders have been trying to get into Michigan and it just hasn't worked because once you create yourself a good reputation in the Northeast and the interesting piece too, is like all these good players are scattered. Like you may have a Duke commit on this team, a Virginia commit on this team. A Louisville commit on that team, and they're all just split up, but they like playing with their friends, and they like the training piece, so they kind of stick with them, even though they may have some other different options on the national level. And then, you know, from the tournament side, you know, Perfect Game has pretty much does a ton of events almost every weekend in New Jersey, you know, whether it's in Vineland or in Stat Island, and, you know, they run, like, their Mid-Atlantic World Series, and, you know, they are owned by the national office, you know, by perfect games so it's kind of their little sector and, and they they fill up these tournaments left and right because just from the sheer volume of number of teams in this area okay so with prd based so you guys are a national program so i'm sure you guys aren't doing too much you know training together i'm sure cameron tilly isn't flying out to new jersey to come practice with you guys on a tuesday wednesday night but with prd baseball you know creating this new facility that i believe was just built within this past what year and a half or so correct um, what type of benefits does that bring to the artillery organization or just, you know, PRD baseball in general? Yep. So um, I would say, you know, Mark, like, for example, Mark, Mark Magliero, Pat's um, lead pitching instructor, he's created some remote stuff, you know, for some of these artillery kids that we've been able to take advantage of. Um, you know, there's been weekends where, you know, a guy from Virginia will drive up the train with Pat, you know, I mean, it's, it's similar to what, Mr. Barth was doing an arsenal, you know, I would walk in one day and he's working with this pitcher from like Ontario, Canada. And I kind of like turned my head and I'm like, holy crap, you're here. Um, 
but I would say the the the, the remote piece that you know Mag's been doing. There's some, I mean, you know, hitting instruction remote work that they're doing also that you know the artillery guys can tap into. But I would say this like more on the artillery side, like you know, all these kids kind of have their own trainers, and you know, some states are easier than others. You know, like I would say, like you know, in this area, it may seem weird, but there are people and facilities that all they focus on is training and have no teams compared to a state like Wisconsin, for example, where the only, the only training facilities they have are ran by teams and by travel orgs. So like for me, for example, getting a kid out of Wisconsin is super hard because if he doesn't want to play full-time for me, well, he can't go find a place to train if he ever chose to do that. It's way harder. I'm sure. Um, so let's dig into the schedule piece here a little bit. Um, I know you said like that's one of the main things that you know draws in people. Like if you have a schedule that's just full of these big time tournaments, all these big time teams are coming to, you know, players want to play for you. So what goes into that schedule making process? Like how how far in advance are you scheduling here for this 2023 summer? What does that kind of look like? And then what are your goals as you're looking at all these different types of tournaments to go to? Yep. So the first piece I look at, I mean, I mean, honest to God, is you know, kind of where that power 10 I'll talk about, you know, kind of like I kind of get their schedules first, see what they're going to um, see how it fits. Cause I'm big on going to stuff that only matters because here's reality is, I mean, is that I don't have a guest playing policy thing in place or anything like that. So if, if I'm covering the big stuff and for example, you have a kid at like Ty, like Ty Thompson's caliber on the 25s, if he wants to go play regionally for somebody for a weekend that we're off, I mean, someone's going to pick him up. Yeah. So I feel like my kids can become guests for others to fill in their holes. Once they are full-time here and they're kind of doing me a service also indirectly because then I don't have to worry about it. So what goes into ha- not having a guest player policy where I'm sure, you know, all these other power programs have, you know, oh, well, you can't go guest play here, can't go guest play here. Like what goes into that mindset and that strategy to not having a guest player um, policy? Yep. So my biggest thing, is oh, the biggest pet peeve of mine is when, for example, you know, I try to go recruit a player and then the coach comes back and starts screaming at me going, that's my guy. I hate the phrase. That's my player. So I feel like this is a service-based ind- like industry. So we don't own people. And I think travel orgs and other owners feel like they own players. But they're paying us to do a service. So my thing's always been, if you go play for somebody else and they're doing a better job than I am and you think the grass is greener on the other side, go ahead because I'm all again, I said, I've always, me and Pat have always been preaching, you know, we want to be different. And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest issues in travel baseball is parents and players kind of feel a little bit of a blind loyalty to people. And, it's, and, and, a, and a lot of it's out of fear because they feel like, oh, this guy's going to go ruin my career if I go play for XYZ on this weekend. And, you know, that's, it, it, it's no different than if you go get a haircut. You know, if, if, if I'm obviously if I'm in Jersey, I'm gonna go see my guy. But if I'm in Atlanta and I need a haircut, I'm gonna go see somebody else. And I really hope that the guy when I get back in New Jersey doesn't come back and scream at me for getting a haircut with somebody else. Yeah. 
that's an interesting dynamic there. <laughs> uh, but um, so as we dig into the schedule part, I know that, you know, there aren't a lot of travel baseball teams that are going to be heading to Hoover here, you know, that March 3rd through 5th tournament. Um, it's a lot more for academies, but you are heading there with a underclass and an upper class team. So take us through, you know, why you're going to Hoover, what these, what these teams are looking like, and just, you know, kind of spotlight the, these two teams in general of what you guys are planning here next weekend. So the Hoover idea came to me about two years ago during COVID. Um, basically, you know, there are a lot of states who have not started high school baseball yet. And these kids want to play. Like, it's, it's no different than us doing MLK in January. I mean, is the MLK a little different? Yes, because the pitchers aren't ramped up. So we have to take our position players down and go find arms from the south. But obviously coming towards that March 3rd to 5th weekend, the pitchers are getting closer. And obviously when you have some of these – you know, powerhouse academies like P27, IMG, you know, those guys, there are going to be professional scouts there. And on top of it, it is also the first weekend for the college contact period where they can go out and recruit. So last year, you know, I saw Matt Rada, you know, Bohannon running around, you know, Carl Nottemaker from Auburn, he'll, he'll, he'll come run around for a day. So, you know, the underclass team, that's the kids that aren't committed, do get some college exposure. You know, I know Skyward Meet from Troy, he's always at that event. Um, and then on the upper class side, you know, it's always filled with advisors and agents because you know that IMG, P27, you know, all these guys are going to bring in some big time guys. So, you know, you get an opportunity, opportunity oh, and a chance to play them. And you're bringing kids down there that, you know, just, just want to play and get at bats because, you know, 17 degrees in Michigan or is it, you know, 30 degrees in, in, in Indiana. And it's right before their high school season. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's. I mean, yeah, I mean, Indiana, we're not starting until I think, like, believe it's like March 15th or whatever that Monday is. Like, yep. it's crazy how, like, I'm talking to Texas players right now for this Texas 12 series, and they started like January 7th or something crazy. And their first game's coming up. I believe some of their guys' first games are actually today, and then the most of them are next week. Well, we're still three weeks away before Indiana. Um, I'm not sure when Michigan, Ohio, Illinois start, but I'm sure it's around the same time. But I mean, that's just crazy to me, you know, how. I know how much more experience these Texas, Oklahoma, those types of kids are getting. Uh, but let's dig into obviously you have the 24, or, yeah, 24 classes, your older class, oldest class right now here for 2023, 2025s, which is the number one team in the country, 2026, and then you're building that 2027 roster. So I kind of just want to, you know, give an outlook, give a little spotlight on each of those organizations, on each of those uh years and each of those teams. Let's start with 2027. So what does that look like when it comes to building that roster? Like how far in advance are you building this 2027 roster for this 2023 season? Uh, maybe like, are there certain regions that you're trying to go after? What exactly does that look like when trying to construct an eighth grade roster? Yep. So I'm currently working on, you know, putting together a roster for like that end of March weekend. Um, cool part is, you know, Justin Carter, who coaches the 14U East Coast Coast Mocha team, you know, he'll have some guys that he'll be able to send. And then you start looking to the Midwest where, where once again, it's quite cold out. They're not playing yet. So you give, you know, give some kids an opportunity to go out East Cobb. Um, I'm still tinkering around with that roster a little bit, but, you know, like I kind of said earlier, it's not a thing where we're trying to build one team out. I mean, we're trying to get 40, 50 kids to come down with us so that, you know, by the time we get to July and we're at the PG World Series, that will probably be the closest, one of the more closer concepts of what that summer will roster will look like. And look, I mean, you know, it, it, it's always funny because like, 
you know, when the 2022 were eighth graders, you know, Brock Porter, Jack Frighton, you know, Donovan Cannon, Barry Ike Irish were all Motor City Hit Dogs. And they played and came and played a Memorial Day weekend with me. We won the thing. And then I took a team, another team to World Woodbat. And they were with Motor City Hit Dogs. So it was kind of cool to see them. You know, it's funny. They, they probably hung out with us more than they hung out with their own team. And then, you know, we, we went back together for the PG World Series. And then all of a sudden, they're, they, we kind of want these four guys to stay with you. And we're like, oh, perfect. We hit the jackpot here. Yeah. So as, at this moment right now, you said you're still working on a 2027 roster. Um, when it comes to, you know, your 2026s, 2024s, we'll wait last to do we'll dig into 2025. But for those teams, well, I guess start with 2026 here. So let's say at the end of this, at the end of last summer, you know, how close is that roster you brought to your last tournament to the roster you're having now for this summer for the 2026? Yep. So the 2026s, um, you know, that was also another partial team with from Justin Carter, who coached who coached a 26 Mocha team last year. Um, so you know, he brought over guys like you know Nick Bradley, he's going to Auburn now. You know, AJ Sacento going to Duke. Sal Garcia is going to Duke. You know, Michael O'Hanna is going to um, Virginia. You know, Alex Famolari will fill in a little bit. He's going to Duke. Ben Bishop's going to Duke. You know, he brought in Ethan Lee. Um, actually, Bishop played here. And then, like, I came back around with, like, the artillery guys who played in the spring, you know, with the Tristan Yearmans of the world. Um, you know, he brought it. I mean, he did bring over Jason Allenbear, who's going to Indiana also. Um, you know, Luke Williams, who, you know, played, you know, was a basketball guy first, played for a little bit of Beaver Valley that he jumped on board. Um, you know, he brought over Carter, brought over Noah Danza. I don't know, you know, James Hopps, who was, like, who was an Ohio King kid. Um, you know, so that 26 group is pretty much a hybrid of the kids that I amassed through eighth grade year and the better kids off that Mocha team. Okay, that okay, that makes sense. So digging in, so you kind of dug into you know some of those guys about 2026 Let's dig into your oldest class right now, 2024. Maybe what are some of those expectations heading into their final travel ball season? Maybe some guys to be on the lookout for. What exactly does that look like here heading into their, their final summer? Yeah, I mean, you know, that group, it, it's funny with that group because you know they've they've I'm gonna be honest, you know, they've struggled for their 15 and 16s a little bit. But the funny piece is that their eighth grade year was during was during COVID. So I only had one tournament with them for eighth grade year. So, you know, in, in my hindsight, you know, I missed on some guys that I thought were going to be better. You know, I may have also, you know, under evaled a couple guys that ended up being really good. And I was like, well, shit. So then like that 15 year when it's supposed to be full time, it's supposed to turn key and go. Um, I was kind of playing behind the eight ball there a little bit, but, you know, for this year, for example, you know, I, I think, you know, the Cale Bonimer kid out of Michigan, I mean, he's somebody definitely want to watch out for. Um, you know, he, he kind of reminds me of a little bit of like a baby. Mike. I mean, he runs a six, five, three, he shoulders are wide. He doesn't swing and miss. He finds barrels all the time. Um, you know, Chase Harlan's another under the radar guy. He's going to Cincinnati out of Eastern PA. Um, you know, six four runs a six seven exit velo one oh three. Um, just another you know kind of under the radar. I mean, Bryce Meckage who has kind of hit himself you know hit himself a little bit in North Jersey. I mean, he'll be up to ninety four ninety five this year. I mean, he's going to Virginia. I mean, this roster. I mean, one two three four. Five, I mean, there's like five six Virginia commits on that roster, and 
you know, they're they're kind of having a chance to play together. You know, like Luke Dickerson, another infielder. You know, Matt Hansen, the electric bat. You know, Armwad. You have Owen Yarusi out of Western PA going to Auburn. Um, I mean, I'm probably just talking way too much right now. Ha. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no, you're good. I know. I, I love this. You know, but that group is pretty much really brand new for this year. And you know, I I did a lot of well, we did a lot of work in the fall. You know, you have like the Gavin Kelly kid who's gonna who's gonna West Virginia might be. Mr. Do-It-All, and, you know, we went out of our way to go get those higher-end guys who are a little bit under the radar, but they're really, really good. And those, you know, some of the guys, you're going to be, you know, all of a sudden, you know, everyone's going to say, holy shit, Bryce Mack is just doing 95 miles an hour. Or like, you know, or like a Trey Gregory Alford from Colorado that's around 95. Um, you know, and there's guys, you know, like Cone James, the UVA catcher, that a lot of the world doesn't even know about. So, you know, that group is, you know, it's, it's super high level. And, but the cool part is it's all kids that want to have a chance to get drafted, want to have a chance to, you know, have that opportunity because they've been kind of tucked away for a little bit. Yeah. So digging into, you know, your, your that last class we went digging into 2025s. So, you know, number one team here in the country, I know you, you've mentioned on that other podcast, I think I read it somewhere else too, that they weren't even, what was it? Not even top 40 last year. They were ranked like what, 45th or something like that. So take us through that journey from, you know, going from the beginning of last summer, not being even ranked in the top 10, top 15, whatever, um, to where they're at now being the number one team in the country. Um, just take us through that whole team and that journey from getting to number one in the United States. Yep. So uh, again, eighth grade year, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in the rankings, but you know, you look at that 25 team right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight of those guys, nine of those guys, played at some point their eighth grade year and when i reached back out all of them in july they're aj we want to play together like, all right well now i have a lineup of nine studs and you know all of a sudden then you have like a ben peterson with a torch out of western pa who's a catcher commit gets to commit to unc then thomas o'connell goes to uva and then Caden hathaway goes to west virginia you know quinn bentley gets to go to nc state you know, Cole, Cole Hewitt goes to Virginia. You know, Mikey Casino goes to Tennessee. Um, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, then you can kind of start looking out there and going, okay, what am I missing? You know, you know Nikki Becker commits to UVA. And you're like, what am I missing? It's like, okay, you know, that's where, you know, you reach out to a Ty Thompson because you know that you do have the players. The ranking doesn't matter. And then he comes on board. And then other of those high-end kids. So then I start talking to Ty, going, Ty, who do you know? And he's like, well, I like this kid over here. I'm like, okay, let's try to go get him. And then you, the, the other UVA commits end up going and get three other ones like that. And then all of a sudden you're on a roster of six UVA guys and four Tennessee kids and a couple of NC States awake and Ole Miss and, you know, and like three West Virginias because they, they want to play together. So, like, the, the key was to first get those four guys off the board school-wise because then I knew it was going to lead to others. Yeah. Which is a great strategy to have there. Um, but when it comes to, you know, a lot of these guys coming from, you know, a lot of different areas, um, you know, I mean, at that point, I mean, you guys do you know, have what, just a mix of like five or six teams that consist of that 2025 roster when it comes to commit wise. 
what is that culture on that 2025 team in terms of, you know, the relationships these guys have built? Uh, what does that look like on the day-to-day basis? Just take us through that culture of that 25 team. Yep. So it, it, it's, it's really interesting and cool. Like one from a baseball brand perspective, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, that first tournament at Lake Point last year, we went one and three and we were all kind of looking at each other like, oh boy, it's going to be a long summer for four more events. So I dug into my little Joe Barth playbook and said, okay, you know what? You guys are going to have to earn the right to hit and we're going to steal bases and we're going to play small ball. And it led to us winning the PG Elite in Hoover with us bunting 39 times over eight games and all the kids had to buy it. Like, it didn't matter. Caden Hathaway was up. Hagen Wright was up. Ty Thompson, you, Quinn Bentley, you name it. First, second, nobody out. We're laying it down. Now, second, nobody out. We're laying it down. You know, we're stealing third with two outs, which is highly unconventional. But, you know, they bought, I mean, you know, I'm a big math percentage guy. And, you know, if your best hitter is going to hit 375 to 400, maybe 450, you know, there's only a 40% chance that guy's going to get a hit with two outs. So, you know, I, everyone says, you know, worst thing ever is making the last out at third. But whether he gets thrown out at third or he pops up or he strikes out or hits a ground out, it's the same thing. But, you know, you move the third baseman over because you're stealing it. And then also he hits a little what would be a routine ground ball and it gets through. And all of a sudden it, 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 it's a cheap run on the board. And, you know, the biggest thing culture, what I told them is, is, you know, let's do it the artillery Ajay way get you guys a couple runs early it's a little untraditional but now everyone's relaxed and now you're in the sixth inning fifth inning and it's seven nothing all of a sudden because you let the kids hit and now the pressure's on the other team because you know you look at all the other nationally they don't practice so you know we we kind of do a lot of stuff on the fly you know pat Gironi's done a really good job of putting a system in to steal bases because these teams don't know how to defend a bunt. They don't know how to defend a steal. And it gives you an opportunity to go get cheap runs, which kind of cool. And then I don't know how this happened, but even that 23 group, I mean, they all got along like really well. This 25 team gets along really well. Like they talk to each other all the time. They hang out together. Um, You know, for, for a lot of these kids, sometimes when they come from, you know, especially in some lower level teams, they, they don't really have friends because there's no kids at their caliber. And when you put kids of the same caliber together, that kind of come from the same background. Well, now they like each other. Cause like some of these kids now, you know, as sophomores are their number one pitcher, you know, on their high school team, cause they come from smaller areas and their, their real friends end up being these guys. So you end up, you know, for them, part of it is, it, it, I mean, you know, our biggest thing with that team is having fun. I mean, and God, we had Ploofy, the little pink octopus as our mascot in the summer. And then all of a sudden I show up to a game and there's Pickle Rick there running around the field. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? But they're having fun with it. It keeps them loose. It keeps the pressure off of them. And, you know, and I, I think, you know, sometimes that group, you know, it, it looks so untraditional, you know, but they're just literally having fun. And the funny thing is other teams just get so distracted by it that they're worrying about that and not worrying about the game in front of them. Yeah. 
So with all these different teams, I mean, you have four teams. I'm assuming what twenty guys per team, so eighty players in general. I'm sure. I'm sure the majority of those guys, you know, are committed to a power five school. Obviously, as you gave me the artillery 2025 roster, that's pretty much all it was, which is power five guys. Um, for you, like, is there a certain role that you play or help in when it comes to the whole recruiting side of things? Like with all those relationships you have, you know, amongst within the game of baseball, um, what type of role do you play in that recruiting process for some of your artillery players? Yep. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the kids, number one, have to have the talent. They got to be able to perform. Two, a lot of these Southern schools, whether it's SEC, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, you know, I mean, obviously the, the, the Big Ten's awesome. You know, there's a lot of schools there. I mean, a lot of those kids, unfortunately, want to get out of the cold weather. And these some of these schools down south want the kids from the north. I mean, you know, one of the cool things is when my 2021s were eighth grade, I mean, Tony Vitello was, was, was his first year at Tennessee and he was at literally all my games. And he was like, dude, he goes, you have sec players that don't come from sec areas. And all of a sudden the ACC starts looking going, huh? He has the same thing. And all these kids want to kind of try to do is get out of the cold. So when, 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 when some of these schools come banging, they're not going to shop it like the kids do from down South, because to them, it's, it's, it's an sec program. It's the best baseball. It's the ACC. It's the best baseball. You know, I mean, look, I mean, you know, honestly, to me, you know, Michigan made a great run a couple of years ago. You know, Coach Package did a great job there. But, you know, there, there's a lot of kids in Michigan, like a Blake Grimmer, who just doesn't want to stay in 30 degree weather or like I like Irish or Brock Porter. And the biggest thing is getting that list of schools from people. And I've always been you know, the, the type of person to say, I will call any school that you're interested in. Um, and we'll see if they like you or not. If they, if, they, if they don't like you, they move on. And, you know, deep down, all these kids, for whatever, whatever reason, have a, have a number one school. So my job is to try to at least get them in contact with a number one school. And after that, you know, it, it's kind of a little bit out of my hand. I'm not going to pitch the kids. You know, it's, it's their job to pitch themselves, and it's a college's job to like them, but you know, when you're getting kids from the North, like I said, they, some of them just don't want to stay up there. I mean, and, and a lot of kids just want to be different. Yeah, of course. And, you know, for both of us, you know, being Northern guys growing up in that cold weather, I mean, I think it's safe to say Northern people are, you know, just born a little different, you know, when it, when it comes to that, so, you know, why, why wouldn't an SEC school want to want a guy from the North? Uh, but no, so digging into my final question here on the J Care podcast here for you. Um, so obviously, let's talk about you know I, we've talked about the past. You know how you've built artillery. What vision do you see for this future? You know, heading to twenty twenty three, but then even beyond that, you know, the next three, four, five years or so. What is that vision that you have for that artillery program? Um, I'll be completely honest with you. I mean, having four kick ass teams is pretty cool. You know, I've never had a vision meant to be bigger because A, I have a full-time job and B, you know, I, I don't want to go like, – like to me, like having the other teams can come off as money makers, and I don't want to do that. Um, you know, if I can have, you know, four teams this year all ranked in the top 10 and rank doesn't matter or, you know, get 20, you know, 30 kids committed or whatever the number may be, then that's the cool part about it. And it's, it's just going to keep running itself. And, you know, we started doing some scout days in different schools. Um, you know, that's a way to get some outside kids just involved a little bit. Um, you know, the, 
the, and then, you know, and Pat does a great job with that stuff. I mean, he, you know, introduced me to Rawlings. So all the kids are going to get Rawlings gloves this year. And, you know, and Pat's doing a lot of the admin stuff that, you know, I didn't like to do and can kind of help us focus on what we're both really good at. And like I said, I like seeing the kids. Like, I think it would bother me if I had a team playing, you know, a five tournament schedule and I never got to see them. If, 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 if kind of like that makes sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I guess I got one last question here that kind of just popped up to my head. So, you know, obviously you've built this program great to where it's at. What would your advice be to, you know, maybe a coach who's coaching for another travel organization, but kind of wants to go out on his own. What would that advice be for them as they're, you know, maybe trying to start their own travel baseball organization? Yep. So it's twofold. I think number one is you have to get away from the idea that my way or the highway and you have to be willing to give options to people. Like the reason why Caleb Bonimer has been here for two years now is because his 15 year, he was on a, you know, a, a regional team that had a full schedule. And he goes, AJ, can I only come to a couple events this year? And I went, okay, sure. No problem. Knowing that he's there for the future. And, you know, and the other piece too, is don't be afraid to be told no. And, you know, that I think that's, Big giving options. Don't be scared to be told no because you're gonna be told a lot, a no, a lot in this business. And from a coaching perspective, I would say the the biggest hurdle is when you have like that 25 or the fours or the three or the sixes, and you have all these division one commits, and you were never at their level. Don't ever assume. Like, don't just assume that you can just roll them out there because they're going to Tennessee or going wherever you know, going to Auburn, you know, going to Michigan, Kentucky, Virginia, Miami, you know, North Carolina, wherever, that they don't want to be coached because they actually do want to be coached. And, you know, just, just make sure you have your ducks in a line because all these kids can see right through your BS. So as, as long as you can develop that trust factor with them, they do want to be coached. They do want to listen. And don't just think like, oh, because I that was probably my biggest hurdle was, you know, you you, you see like, I don't know, for example, like Bubba Chandler walk in front of you and you're like, oh, Bubba Chandler probably has it all figured out. You know, he doesn't really need me or, or you know, or, or any of these kids. Um, you know, they, they do want to learn. It's just some, I think some coaches just get hesitant and think, oh, we'll just roll them out there and they'll figure it out. Because I do think there has to be a teaching component to this. And, you know, and obviously creating that short-term culture of only having the kids there for the weekend any teaching opportunity you have, don't be afraid to jump in there and say something to a kid. Now, just like I said, make sure you're right. Don't just BS them on something because they 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 do want to listen. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. That's the end of the Jay Kara podcast here for you. End of episode number one of the Artillery Baseball Series. Um, you know, I was super thankful for you coming on the show. Thankful for you, you know, um, working with me here and creating this Artillery Baseball Series. Uh, I do want to wish you the best of luck, you know, going into this year um, as hopefully you guys keep that number one ranking in 2025, but also, you know, the 2024, 26 and 27 teams having a bunch of success as well. Um, like I said, just thanks for coming on the show and, you know, I'll definitely be following you guys throughout this summer. And again, like we'll be having another series coming up with beyond, you know, the class of 2025, but then other players that you've had on artillery as well. Um, so no, just, you know, thanks for coming on the show and there we go. That's the end of the JKR podcast. What you think? That was awesome, dude. I'm glad to, for you to have me on there, man. It was fun. Fun shooting the shit with you, so.